Alrighty, guys. Fonzie here. Um, coming at you for a bit of an impromptu preseason pod. Um, I put up on Twitter today a question asking everybody to tell me how you think the Warriors are going to go this year and got the broad range of response from all the usual suspects and legends who um, follow the Warriors and are active on Twitter, um, many of whom, by the way, are also active on the NZ Warriors Forum, which is another place I love to go to read and listen to what the clever people say. And the consensus was probably, or the average response was probably, that we're going to finish somewhere between 10th and 12th. But there was some, you know, a bit of a broad spread, probably <laughs> a few dudes going, this is our year, as they do. But most people who were being real about it were sort of putting us somewhere between 6th, 7th and 15th. And... Um, I read all that, which was really good to read, and came up with a view myself that I thought we would probably finish somewhere between 12th and 15th. And um, that probably came across as slightly pessimistic, given there's clearly a lot of good things happening at the club. You all would have heard our interview with Webby in December, and um that generated a lot of sort of positive enthusiasm about Webby and about the club. And I personally feel every bit of that. I really enjoyed that interview. I think that guy has a brain on him. I think he's going to do a good job. But I personally feel like, you know, we're really we're really turning a big ship around here, right? So a lot of people want to talk about Toddy Payton, who came in and turned the Cowboys around from 15th to 3rd in two years, well, from where they were to 3rd in two years. But in his first year, he finished 15th, and he's just come in 3rd um, in 2022. He did that on the back of a crop of very good juniors coming through that club, right? Now, we're not going to have that. We're not going to have that because of COVID. So um, we're not going to get that boost coming through the ranks probably for another three years from now. So there's still, notwithstanding, we might have a great coach and things might be on the up and players might be motivated and stuff. There's still some structural obstacles to us being a really good club for a while. And I personally just don't think this year is going to be it. And I also don't think this year should be viewed as being it, right? So this is not just me trying to dampen people down. This is me trying to um, put a vibe out there to say that, you know, expectations being too high this year could be counterproductive. So, for example, if everyone gets in their head, oh, we're top eight or tenth this year, and then we finish 15th, we might have a whole bunch of the same people who are, positive now in 12 months saying oh we need to sack the coach because he didn't deliver right whereas I'm sitting there going yeah no I don't think so I think this year 12th would be a really good result um, and to be honest it's less about results more about performance and I think you know what this club needs is some stability and continuity around Webby if if we agree and most people seem to that he he's the right kind of guy Right, who can grow with the club and do a good job. Um, I think that you know we need a 
have our expectations map reality, but we need to have our hunger, right? Our hunger to win um, as high as it's ever been. Yeah, right. So expectation and hunger are two different things. You can be hungry for a win, but you don't expect to win. You know, they're they're two different things. I think this year we need to be demanding good performance from our club and progression from our club, and we should be hungry to win, but we should not expect to win. Um, because that expectation would be, I think, a little bit too far forward. So um, anyway, that's my take on that discussion and appreciate everyone who jumped back on and commented on um, that little post I did. Now, part of the reason I'm a bit less positive than the average collective response I got is that I'm still a big believer in the importance of cohesion in um, footy and those of you who've been listening to my pod for a while will be aware that I did a long uh, podcast specifically on cohesion Um, I think it was was a couple of years ago now and I was sort of reflecting on exactly those themes today um, and thinking about the challenges we've got in our roster and in our team this year around cohesion so let's look at it right so We've gone from Reese Walsh's fullback, who's a small offensive-minded fullback, who sort of is more a a six-playing fullback in some ways. We've moved from that to a um, to Chance, who's a defensive-minded fullback, better in yardage, whereas Reese was terrible in yardage. Different, just totally different player. Like literally the polar opposite fullbacks you can have. Um. And so we've had to deal with that. Then we're going to go from the sort of revolving door of halves we had last year to settle into an SJ and Temare Martin halves combo. Now, bear in mind too that Brownie and SJ both said for the last year that SJ was going to be your organising on the ball seven. And Webby on our pod said that's not how he wants to play SJ. He sees him as a six, right? So we're going to be playing a structure that has two sixes where SJ is less on the ball and has less responsibility. So aside from Temara coming in as a new player, the halves are going to play differently. Um, and so that just leaves Wado as the consonant nine, but of course he's going to have a different pack around him, right? So we don't still know for sure who our props are going to be. Obviously, um, Arun is going to be one of them, but is it going to be Barney as the other one? Is Tohu going to play up? Is uh, Maratha going to play up? You know, there's there's a lot of different options there, um, and it's still not clear. And you'd imagine they're trying all sorts of different combinations at training. And um, Webby has said today that he can see Maratha and Barney each playing some time at middle. So... My point there is to say that between new coach, massive roster turnover, I think it's, is it 10, 10, 12 players from the top 30 that ended the year have been swapped out, plus the players changing mid-year last year. Um, the new coach's system, different training regime, and obviously the new spine I've just described. And it's not just a different spine, but it's a different different composition of a spine. Um we're going to struggle for cohesion. And so 
my short-term pessimism just comes from my possibly um, higher importance that I place on cohesion compared to a lot of you. And so I just wanted to say that and then grab a uh, section from the podcast I did a couple of years ago on cohesion and play it back for you now because we've got many listeners now that probably weren't listeners back then and anybody who did listen to it back then has probably forgotten. So I just wanted to replay it because I think it holds true and I think it just helps us sort of ease into the new year as we watch this team and judge it, um, maybe with a a slightly broader understanding of... um, the challenges that Webby and the team are facing as they try and go from 15th to something much better. So have a listen and uh, plenty more to come on This Warrior's Life in the coming months, but this is a bit of a teaser for you in the preseason. I've long been a believer that rugby league teams and probably people generally, like business and stuff, but certainly rugby league teams, um, are too quick to change things in response to bad outcomes. They're too reactive, right? Um, There's a lot of reasons for that. You can go and read all this behavioural economic stuff. But I think that in the case of footy teams, there's a few uh, unique factors at play. So firstly, results are very obvious. You see them on the weekend. There's a whole media amplifier around those results that you don't get in other businesses that you get in football you got fans and um, we need to take some of the blame man because when the fan base is going off it puts enormous pressure on boards and stuff to make decisions Um, and i'll tell you right now um, some of the people on the boards of footy teams and who are making decisions or, or influencing decisions around some of these things do not know more about footy than a lot of the people listening to this podcast. I will tell you that for sure right now. There um, there are egos involved. There are KPIs involved. There are all sorts of reasons why there is a um, reactive tendency within sports. And um, in rugby league, I think we see that. And a lot of pressure builds up on clubs and on boards and on coaches to make changes and it leads to what people call the action bias right which is a bias towards doing something so to be seen to be doing something or to feel like you're doing something even if doing something is not the optimal thing to do now i just want to remind you of some historical themes about our club the warriors okay so we've never won a grand final we've made two grand finals in 26 years we've made the finals once in the last 10 years right Um, So we are statistically chronic underperformers. Now, we've had 12 coaches in 26 years, right? and I'm not counting caretakers who did less than 10 games, 12 coaches in 26 years. We've had six different ownership groups in 26 years. Um, We tend to perform okay in patches, for example, around origin periods before fading. And there's a few narratives about our club, right? which is we have success when a great crop of Kiwi juniors comes through and are mentored by a few hard-nosed Aussies, right? That's one. Um, another one Another one is that the Warriors like to play ad-lib footy. I mean, it's not true, but like to play ad-lib footy and that they don't have the motor 
to last more than 60 minutes and so on. Right, these are all, you know, the themes, the blocker roaches and stuff like the chuck out there. So I'm going to put it to you that the reason we have been statistically chronic underperformers is because we have not created an environment where we have been able to have cohesion within the club. Now, what do I mean by cohesion? So um, I want to shout out to a mob called Gainline Analytics, who are, um, it's a company, I think, founded by Ben Darwin, who's an ex or uh, an ex-Wallaby. And they have done a lot of data analytics around sports results and around the impact of cohesion. And their conclusion, which is um, really the foundation of the business they run, is that cohesion is um, the least, uh, is the most important variable in predicting success and probably the least respected, right, um, uh, by footy teams, certainly in Australia and, and certainly in the NRL. Um, I should say I have no affiliation with them. I've only just seen their stuff published online and so on. Um, heard them, heard Ben talk about it before, um, and so uh, I'm. What I'm going to say now is influenced by their model and their thinking, um, but is not necessarily exactly representative of it because, um, like, I'm not reading from their paper. Right, I'm telling you from the you know my own head. They talk about three um, types of understanding that create cohesion. Um, so. That is system understanding, right? So is there a clear system that the team works to and that the players understand and understand, um, you know, what the system is, what, what it is and what it's trying to do? Next, there's role understanding. So does the player understand their role within the system and what they are required to do? And then there's interpersonal understanding. So that that's more the understanding that players um, develop through experience of playing with each other um, at a at a more personal level. So let's let's give an example, right, um, of those three things. Let's take the example of the kick return set, say, that I mentioned earlier. So we might have a system as part of our overall game model that says on a kick return set we do three um, outside back hit ups followed by two front row hit ups, and um, and then a kick. Right, okay, so that's the, the the basic system. Then if I'm Reese Walsh, I understand that my role, um, or let's let's say another one, let's say if I'm Dallin with Henry Zelezniak, I understand my role in that system is to um, take one of those early carries, but because Walsh is a smaller body, um, I would prefer him to take the first carry. So if I can arrange it so he takes the first carry and I take the second, then that's that's my role. And then um, to get into dummy half on Walsh's first carry, say, if the ball is on um, the right-hand side of the field. Okay, that, that might be my role in a yardage kick return set. So explaining that system, fairly simple. Explaining the role, fairly simple, a few more variables. Then you get the interpersonal understanding element of it. So if I've played with a guy for 50 games, right, we don't tend to get confused about who's calling the ball, right? We don't tend to get confused about um, who's taking that carry. And let's go further. When I've played with a guy for 50 or 100 games and he's in dummy half, I know without even thinking about it roughly how long it takes from the moment that he split steps to bend down and pick up the ball and throw it to me 
I know roughly how long that is. I know how many strides I need to take from the moment I see him split step to the moment the ball is in my hands, right? And so I, I don't think about it. My body just knows it. I, it's just there, right? We, we've done it before. We've done it so many times before that I have a subconscious understanding of it. And so at the cognitive level, like we understand each other in terms of who's calling the ball. At a subconscious level, we understand each other in terms of I time my run to suit his pass. And so a team like Melbourne, right, that has a very established system and very clear roles um, is ahead of any team who doesn't have a very established system and very clear roles and players who are used to performing that role. But then to go to the next level, you need that interpersonal understanding of how um, each player, the style um, that each player uh, adopts to play that role. So if you accept, as I do, that that cohesion is probably the most important variable when you're comparing sides, I mean, you've got to have a base level of core skill, right? I mean, I couldn't get me and... 12 of my mates to turn up on the weekend and, you know, just through cohesion, we're going to, because we've been playing since we were five, we're going to, you know, like that's not going to happen, right? But when we get to pro sport, everybody's a full-time professional. Um, a lot of the fitness and skill gaps are um, addressed through um, basic training, a basic high-performance system training. And so we're down to cohesion as the difference between a Melbourne, say, and a Newcastle for example, um, or a Melbourne and a Warriors. Although, you know, I think we <laughs> might be a few other differences there too. So um, the gain line, guys, and common sense tells you too that your spine, your 1, 6, 7, and 9, are the most interactive positions. They are the positions that um, are going to be most, where cohesion will be most valuable or lack of cohesion will be most um, problematic in attack because they are the most interactive positions. They have the most interactions with the players around them. A winger all right, has a much simpler role and the system does not cause the winger to have as many interactions with other players. So you can plug and play wingers pretty easy. I mean, you can take a winger from league to union, for example, right, for the same reason. They're not that interactive. Their role is simpler. The systems are more standardised for them. But for halves, hookers, fullbacks, depending on how you play, they are very interactive roles. And so um, cohesion in terms of understanding systems and roles and um, the interpersonal piece is critical. So when we look at teams like Melbourne, right, we, we keep saying, how do they regenerate when they lose key players? Well, the answer is they have a clear system. Everyone knows their role in that system. That system is embedded in a development pathway that goes right down to 16s. Right, 16s, 18s, 20s, reserve grade. The system is embedded there. The roles are embedded there. And then um, players, yes, they've turned over some major players, but they've kept a pretty good core there. And interpersonal, um, when you don't have to worry about trying to keep the system and role elements in your mind, the interpersonal comes quicker. And so they regenerate. What about Penrith? These kids have been playing together since they were 12, most of them. They've come through. It's the youngest team in the NRL, but in terms of cohesion, how many times have these kids played together on a footy field? Um, heaps. And they've had some stability now since Augusta's um, through now into the Cleary era where they've got a system 
that is defined, roles are understood, and the interpersonal understanding is the stuff that you know has been formed since age twelve. Um, the gain line guys talk about Queensland being overachieving in origin. They've got I don't know, making this up, but I think it's a quarter or a third of the player base of um, New South Wales. But because they pick from a smaller number of clubs um, and from a smaller number of junior clubs, they actually are picking um, a group of players with a higher cohesion value than New South Wales has historically. It's changed now because we're picking Penrith halves and stuff, right? And, and we're smoking them. But that's the um, their reason for the Queensland relative overachievement um, over the years versus the Warriors underachievement. So what are the implications for the Warriors here, right? Well, first of all is we cannot get by with um, a development pathway which involves sending five, six players to Redcliffe. You need a vertically integrated development pathway where you can define your system and and then back your system down your development pathway so that system and role understanding flows through that pathway. Right, that's the first thing. That's a big picture thing. We can't do that now. We need to wait um, until COVID ends and we can sort that out. But that costs a lot of money. That's what I thought Gus was going to do. Um, I didn't talk about Gus leaving in the news section. I don't have time now, but I'll come back to that later. But that that's what I thought Gus was going to do. All right, and now he's not doing that, and I hope somebody is, but I'm not confident that anybody is. Then, once you've got that um, development piece sorted, you need enough continuity of your system and your key players. Now, every time you change a coach, he brings in a new system. Right? No coach ever says, oh, yeah, I'll just use the old coach's system. Now, I'll say again, we've had 12 coaches in 26 years. That means we've had 12 systems in 26 years. Right, there's too many. You can't do that. You have to have more continuity of systems. Now, if your system is completely busted and is demonstrably no good, then you need to change it. Right? I get that. But 12 in 26, uh, we would have been better off sticking with underperforming coaches there and getting continuity and cohesion up than just chopping and changing. I've got no doubt about that over that 26-year period. And we are absolutely, in my opinion, in that place right now. And then you've got roles. Now, this is um, this is where you know. Let's look at some recent history. Let's look at Stephen Kearney. Now, I know most people who listen to this podcast think less of Kearney than I do, but I think um, there was a lot of logic to what Kearney was doing. All right. So the first thing is he brought in a conservative game model. All right. It was about high completions. It was about big wingers getting your set start, smaller middles keeping it rolling. Um, he had Sean Johnson there, so really his good ball play was get some momentum through the middle, get early ball to Johnson, watch him step three blokes on the right edge and throw a cut out to a winger, right? That was it. That was pretty much it. And then kick, kick back to the other wing, basically. And that's a very simple system, at least as it relates to good ball. And it made sense to have a simple system if you're trying to get the club up to speed on a system quickly and trying to help players who probably didn't come through the best development systems in Auckland, let's be real, to understand their role in the system quickly. Then he tried to recruit Kiwis. Now, he did that because um, he probably had more chance of recruiting Kiwis, but back to cohesion and understanding interpersonal um, understanding, 
they all played together as part of a Kiwi squad. They spent, you know, six weeks over in England. And in 2018, when we um, finished, well, equal fifth, but one went off first, um, we had three members of the Kiwi spine. Um, I think we had 10 members of the top 30 who were members of Kearney's Kiwi squad, right? So you can like or dislike Stephen Kearney, and we can talk about whether he deliberately did this or he just did it by accident, but... I think that his strategy was consistent with an understanding of the importance of cohesion right, around interpersonal, around um, system and around roles. Now, then Johnson got punted and so suddenly you've got Blake Green as your dominant half. Now, do you reckon you need to change your system if you've got Blake Green as dominant half? Yes, you do. Right? And do you reckon the, the um, understanding of... Um, roles in that high interaction space around your spine. Do you reckon that's going to go off a cliff? Yes, it is. And then um, you change it again when Cody Nicarima comes in, in like round 10. And, I mean, 2019 was always going to be a basket case. Then in 2020, we get another ownership change. We um, And Kearney only lasts five, six rounds. Um, and, you know, we end up with Todd Payton who actually finished his year well. Now, everyone wants to tell me that Todd Payton's a, a great coach, right? Well, um, Cowboys fans aren't telling me that as much as Warriors fans are, but um, let's look at it through the cohesion lens. So how many new signings did we make for 2020? The answer is one, Wade Egan. Otherwise, we ran the same squad as 2019 with a couple of internal promotions, um, and we had a bad injury um, experience early in the year and then we started getting some players back and we had some players go home we had all the COVID stuff but the reality is that the squad at the back end of 2019 was really the sorry at the back end of 2020 was a squad who had actually been able to build some cohesion now Todd Payton did not change the system he came out and said that a number of times in his post-match press conferences he said I'm not going to change the system mid-year I've asked Justin Morgan to make some tweaks to our defensive positioning. Um, I've worked on you know some particular um, issues with players around role understanding. He didn't use that exact word, but it's basically what he said. And we've all kind of bunkered down, and um, we're all in this together, and we're in a little bubble here. And you know our our performances have improved as the season's gone on. That basically back ended the year. And I think you could just as easily say that that's a result of. Um, some build-up in cohesion amongst that squad into the back end of 2020 as it is about Todd Payton being a great coach. I think it's far more likely to be that, actually, than Todd Payton being a great coach. Not to say he's not, right, but you can't judge it off what happened there because cohesion is just as a likely explanatory variable. So then we hit 2021, right? This This is the start of the Brown era. Now, we've got a massive turnover in rosters, pre- and mid-season. So we've had 14, 14 club debuts in 2021, if you count Chad Townsend as a club debut, which I do, he hasn't been here for ages. So just let that sink in, right? We had 14 people play their first game for the club this year out of a squad of 30. It's crazy. It's just insane. Now, we've had multi-week injuries to 13 players by my count. That was before, actually, um, Toho's one, I think. So it's more out of a squad of 30. It's insane. Um, the coach, Brownie, will have brought in a new system. Now, he's been talking to us about this all year. 
he basically said with a split pre-season, all right, so he didn't even have the squad to teach them a system until um, January in Tamworth, he said with a split pre-season, I'm going to have to start him with a you know, pretty simple game plan and we'll build on it as the year goes. So he's openly saying, um, very simple, kick down the front door game plan early on because I haven't had time to design and implement and teach them the system that I want and then we'll work on that. Now, the high point of the initial system was the St George game in round, I want to say six, I think it was, maybe seven, just before Walshy joined us, where um, we completed nearly 100% beat Saints with no halves, right, because we, we played a very simple system. But even Brownie's um, system didn't survive contact with reality because he lost Adafino Blake, who's our best forward, in round three, and he lost his um, uh, halfback, CHT, who's actually very important to a system that plays through the middle because he's a very direct runner. Um, he lost him in round three. So, again, injuries sort of um, put pressure on the system from day one. But then we throw in Reese Walsh. Now, Reese Walsh is an absolute gun, right? But do you reckon the system that you would design for a side and the role that you would design for a fullback where RTS is your fullback, is the same as the one for Reese Walsh? Of course it's not. Totally different. Um, even on that set start example I gave where you've got a kick return, right? Do You want you don't want Walshy taking um, tackle two or three coming out of yardage. RTS can, often did, did a great job. Get Momalo doing number one, RTS number two. So at all levels of um, the game, you would have a different system with RTS's fullback as you would at Walsh's fullback. And then, of course, you're putting RTS on a, ring, a wing. So, um, But you're then asking him to play a bit more of a six role, come in looking for the ball. So what impact does that have on the role of your centre and your, your five-eighth and your half? And it just changes the system, changes the number of roles within the system. And then you've got the interpersonal understanding of people learning how Walsh he plays. How does Walsh like to play? Um, it's... You know, it's it's a massive disruption. And so it's not surprising to me that you can add a player who clearly makes your squad better and get worse results overall, which is what has happened since Walsh has come. And I think that's, um, you know, that's a pretty good explanation for what we've seen. And whereas the hope at the start of the year was that we'd, we'd do a, you know, have a back-end season, right, where cohesion builds through the year and we finish strong. And if you listen to my podcast early in the year and my season preview that's kind of what I saw happening or what I hoped would happen was um, we'd start simple and choppy and then sort of around now sort of around 16 18 20 we'd go on a run and I thought that because I thought that the spine um, the four pack was good enough and the spine was good enough that when cohesion kicked in it'd be enough to put us into that top you know four to eight range but we never got the cohesion because first it was Fenor Black and CHT. Um, then Walsh comes in and the spine changes again. Now CHT's out again. We've brought in Townsend. Fenor Black's out again. Tohu's out. Um, Egan's had a couple of um, breaks. Egan's the one who uh, actually, frankly, has improved as the year's gone on. And you can only imagine if all of the spine had improved in the same way and all been um, improving together. Uh, in terms of understanding of their the system, their roles, and interpersonally, you can see a different year. I really can. So that's how I look at the year. 
And I think the next six weeks with the injuries we have are going to be brutal. Um, and I think that we need to just accept that. We'll jag a few wins. We're not going to, we're not going to lose six. We'll jag a few wins. Um, but the year now is all about identifying um, who should be where next year. And then we need an off-season where we really um, make sure that we've refined Brownie's system for the players that he's got. And we make sure everyone understands that system and their role in it. And then we work on this interpersonal understanding. Um, and the hope has to be that if we can sign a, another half, a depth half, and we can get a clear pre-season and a good start to the year, that we can back end next year where um, we find ourselves sort of at this point next year in the eight and starting to hit a run because the talent that's there, and it's there, it's definitely there, um, the talent is starting to hit its straps and work together with cohesion. And, um, you know, we're, we're looked at as a team like Manly, right, where people look at Manly at the moment and go, geez, these guys, you know, that I'm not backing them to win the comp, but if they jagged it, it wouldn't completely shock me. I think that can be us in 12 months if we get a clear run at it and we get some cohesion. Alrighty, guys, it's been an hour and, what, 10 minutes, so I will stop. Um, there is a lot more I could say about cohesion and about um, the way you can tell the Warriors' story through that lens, um, but I won't today because uh, I've asked a lot of you. Um, and I would love to be challenged on this, right? I would um, love you to go and have a quick read of some of the game line stuff and tell me what you think. Um, there are limits to it, don't get me wrong. Like, and, and to be clear, they're not saying cohesion is the only variable, but they're saying it's the variable that has the highest predictive power and the lowest um, appreciation in footy. I look at the Warriors and it's just a, it's a case study in a lack of cohesion. It's a case study in that this year, and it's a case study in that since its whole history. All right, guys, till next pod, hang tight. Better times will come. And go the Warriors.